Well, good morning. Today we're starting a brand new series that will focus on the fact that there is hope even if you don't believe it right now. There really is. There is hope even when you don't feel it or don't believe it. You know, I think we can all relate to times when we feel hopeless. There are times when it just feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. That just Maybe you just don't see any way that your situation can improve. Uh, perhaps you're even wondering if, if you can keep going. Maybe you're even wondering if you should keep living. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to dig into the fact that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the situation you find yourself in, there is hope. Regardless of how negative it may feel right now, regardless of how dark the days may be right now, I want to tell you today and over the next five weeks, there is hope. And so we're going to be looking in this series at uh, next five weeks at five different subjects. I, w- I want you to look at this on the screen. Uh, today we're going to be talking about dark days. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll be talking about grieving with hope. When you've lost a loved one and, and it just seems like there's no light in your life anymore. We're going to be talking about that, grieving with hope. May 14th, noticeable hope. Because First Peter says that uh, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Uh, that your hope that you have should be noticeable. People ought to notice it. May 21, we'll talk about God's plan for you, that God does have a plan, has a plan for your life. Even in dark times and difficult times, even in times where things are falling apart, God has a plan. We'll talk about that. And then on May 28th, we're going to be talking about suicide, when all hope is lost. Those times when, it just, when life feels so hopeless, you don't even want to live anymore. And I hope that you'll bring other folks with you. Because what I want to say on that day is, there is hope. And so we'll be looking at that over the next five weeks. Today, I want to talk about dark days. If you've ever been mad at God, I'm glad you're here today. You picked a good day to come to church. If you've ever felt like maybe God's mad at you, you picked a really good day to be here today. uh, Because... I believe there's something for you in the message today. You know, one of the fascinating things about Scripture is that the heroes of the Bible don't always look like heroes. And I'm so thankful that that's the situation. Sometimes the heroes of the Bible had down days. And I'm so glad that they do because I do too. And I bet maybe you do as well. Often the dark days that we feel are sometimes deepened by the thought that there's nothing that we can do to improve our situation. It's kind of a downtime, a depressing time, and the more you think about it, the more you dwell on it, the more you realize there's just absolutely nothing I can do to fix this. There's nothing I can do to improve my situation. So, the question today is, what do you do when there's nothing left to do? What do you do when life just seems out of control, or maybe at least out of your control? What do you do when it gets so bad that God even seems distant? Here's what usually happens. We, when we begin to believe that God is not there for us, when we begin to think, we, when we begin to entertain the thought that maybe God doesn't care for us the way we thought He did, then we often cross that threshold towards anger and resentment and cynicism. And you know what that does? That just takes you into deeper, darker days. It just takes you into deeper, darker depression. So, here's what I want you to understand today. You see, the trouble with trouble 
is that it threatens not just our comfort and not just our peace, but the trouble with trouble is that it sometimes threatens our faith in God. Difficult days can put you in a downward spiral where it takes you to the point where you begin to think that maybe God's the one to blame for your troubles. Maybe it's God's fault. Maybe the reason you're going through what you're going through is because it's God's fault. See, days can get so dark that you actually start pointing the finger to God, towards God. You actually start blaming God. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're wrestling with that right now, I understand that. If you're wrestling with that right now, you're not odd. You're not strange. You see, lots of folks have these kind of thoughts. If God is sovereign, if God is almighty, why doesn't he do something? I mean, if God is all-loving, how could he be so loving and allow this to happen to me or to my family, to my loved ones? And so when you begin to entertain those thoughts, when you begin to wrestle with those questions, the natural outcome of that is you start living in very dark days and you start having some very dark questions. Now, if you are sitting there today thinking that this is kind of unspiritual to think or say such things, I would say to you in a loving way, you need to read your Bible. Let me show you an example of this. We'll put it on the screen. In Lamentations 3, the writer of Lamentations says this, I am the man who has seen What's that next word? Who has seen what? I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Talking about God. He said, listen, what I'm going through, I've seen it, I've experienced it. I call it affliction, and I've I've experienced it by the rod of his wrath. Now look what he says in verse 2. He, God, has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He just said, it just feels like God's pushed me aside. I feel so distant. He feels so distant. It's just like he's pushed me aside. Look what he said in verse 3. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me. Again and again, all day long. I mean, look at the darkness in those words. He's turned, God has turned his hand against me. And not just once, he's done it again and again. And he does it all day long. Now, if you're not a student of the Bible, you may wonder, who in the world wrote that? I mean, it doesn't sound like a man with a lot of hope. It doesn't sound like a man with a lot of answers. It doesn't sound like a man with a lot of faith in God. Who wrote that? It might surprise you to find out that the person who wrote that was God's prophet, an old man named Jeremiah. And the title of the book that this appears in is significant. The title of the book is Lamentations. Jeremiah wrote the book of of, of Jeremiah, but then the next book, the book of Lamentations, we believe he was the author of that as well. And the title Lamentations is significant. The word lament means to wail, to cry aloud, to feel or express deep sorrow, or to mourn a great loss. Jeremiah wrote a book of wailing. He wrote a book of deep sorrow. He wrote a book of mourning. We call it lamentations. Jeremiah prophesied for more than 40 years trying to prepare God's people and warn God's people that their nation had abandoned God. He faithfully proclaimed God's word, but God's people turned a deaf ear to him as well as to the God he represented. So in 586 B.C., He witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem by by the Babylonians. 
The temple was plundered and burned, and the people of God were carried away from their holy city of Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. Jeremiah sat in the ruins of that. He sat in the ruins and the rubble of Jerusalem, and he mourned, and he wept aloud, and he wailed over the city that lie in ruins. And he wrote the book of Lamentations. In fact, if, if you can't find it, let me tell you where it is. Go to Psalms, turn to the right. Eventually, you'll come to Jeremiah. Go one more book, and you'll come to Lamentations. I want to start in chapter 2, verse 11. Because it's just a good verse that summarizes this whole book. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what he says. My eyes fell from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. That's a good summary verse. It explains what this whole book is about. My eyes fell from weeping. He's lamenting. So this book contains the laments of Jeremiah, who is sometimes called the weeping prophet. So much of his preaching is mixed with tears that he's often called the weeping prophet. Now, there are five laments in this book we call Lamentations. The first two, it's interesting, to kind of give you the context. The first two laments in this book describe the plight of the city of Jerusalem and the people who lived there. All right, so get that in your mind. First two laments, first two times of wailing, if you will, are about the people of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. But now in chapter 3, something changes. Chapter 3, which is the longest chapter in this book, the longest lament in this book, Jeremiah describes his own personal pain. He describes his own questions and the hopelessness he feels. All the other chapters, interesting, you can check it out later, and we could really dig into this and talk about why, but all the other chapters have 22 verses. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, they all have 22 verses. Jeremiah writing about his own personal struggles, his own problems. His chapter, chapter 3, has 66 verses. So here is a t- in this chapter, he is really pouring out his heart. He is really wailing, if you will, about what he's experiencing, the hopelessness that he feels. These are dark days for the old prophet. You see, he's walked with God. He's served God for many years. And now, listen to this. Now in chapter 3, as he sits in the midst of the ruins of the city, he's angry with God. He has this disturbing notion that God is the one to blame for all of these troubles. Jeremiah writes with great transparency as he makes his case against God. It's as if we, we get to look over his shoulder as he writes in his diary. I want to look carefully at it, the old prophet as he describes the hopeless situation and his doubts about God. I want you to listen very carefully because the words that he writes in chapter 3 might sound familiar to you. Not that you've read them before, but that you've said them before, or at least you felt them before. So let's begin reading in verse 4. I'm, just going, I'm not only going to have time just to read the verses, not really say a whole lot about them, but just to give you a picture of the hopelessness he was feeling, beginning in verse 4. He talks about how this whole deep, dark depression had destroyed his health. Verse 4. He, God, has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. 
The message translation says, He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones and then broke the bones. Verse 5 through 7, he explains that he's an emotional wreck. Okay, describes it in verse 5. He, God, has besieged me and surrounded me with what? What's that next word? With what? With bitterness and hardship. God's done this. Verse 6, he has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. These are dark, dark days for him. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Verse 7, he has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Jeremiah is saying, I want you to know something. He, he has wrecked me. This, I'm an emotional wreck. Verse 8, talks about his prayer life. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, listen, even those times when I get enough faith, when I can muster up enough faith to talk to him, he shuts out my prayers. Those times when I eventually say, well, maybe I'll try to talk to God, his prayers never seem to do any good. When he looked up to pray, it was like God slammed the door in his face. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like your prayers just aren't doing any good and maybe God... It just kind of slammed the door in your face. He has no intent in listening to you. That's what Jeremiah felt. Verse 9. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. I don't know which way to turn. It's as if he is hindering me. Verse 10. He felt abandoned by God. Verse 10 and 11. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He left me without help. He felt abandoned by God. But that's not all. Everybody look up here and tell you something. It gets worse. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> look what he said in verse 12. He drew his bow. This is my favorite. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. Jeremiah said, it just feels like God's having target practice with me. You know, he keeps missing, but he's just taking, just, just doing target practice on me. He keeps shooting the arrows towards me. Verse 13, he has pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. Verse 14, he said, I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in a song all day long. The reason he was rejected by those around him, though he had correctly predicted the fall of Jerusalem, they seemed to laugh at the fact it didn't help you any. You told us what was coming, but... It didn't help you any. Verse 15 and 17, 15 through 17, he was filled with misery, overwhelmed with misery. He says, verse 15, he has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. That just sounds painful, doesn't it? He's broken my teeth with gravel. He, God, has trampled me in the dust. Verse 17, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I have been deprived of peace. I seek for peace. I want peace. I just can't find it anymore. And I have forgotten what prosperity is. I, I've forgotten what a good life was like. I've forgotten what it feels like. Have a good life. Verse 18, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Verse 18, he's simply saying this, my dream died. Everything I'd hoped for from the Lord is lost. The message translation translates that verse this way. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. 
God is a lost cause. In verse 19 through 20, he's very, very depressed. He says, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is, what's that next word? My soul is what? Downcast within me. Now, as strange as it may sound, this cry of despair becomes the turning point in Jeremiah's lament. In the dark days of his depression, when he felt like God was, the, was to blame for all that he had gone through, in the dark days of depression, when he felt like it was God's fault, Jeremiah somehow began to think about something other than his misery. Somehow he began to think about God's mercy. I want you to look at verse 21. This is where it all turns, verse 21. Yet, this I call to mind, look on the screen, and therefore I have hope. Now, I want you to understand something. These are not the words of somebody who's writing a little verse for Sunday school. These are not the words of somebody who says, yeah, God's good and, and I have hope. No, 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 no. The first 20 verses, he's telling us how much he hates God and how, how angry he is with God and how badly God has treated him. And yet somehow in the midst of all of that, he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Even in my hopeless situation, he said, I have hope. Even in my desperate dark days, he said, even then, I call this to mind, and therefore, I have hope. Which makes me ask, what in the world was he thinking about that gave him hope? What was it that flipped the switch? What was it that made the difference that he could have hope after he's just described how bad his life is in the first 20 verses? But before we get there, let me just ask you this. What is hope? Ordinarily, when we use the word hope in, in just current day settings, we use the word hope this way. We express uncertainty rather than certainty. Whenever we use the word hope, in just in common context, we're usually expressing uncertainty rather than certainty. We're saying something like this, I hope I make my flight. There's not a certainty there, right? It's just, I, I hope it happens. It may happen. I'm not sure about it. But, but we're expressing uncertainty. I, I hope I passed that final exam. Well, there's an uncertainty there. You hope it has happened, but you can't say it with certainty. Most of the time, whenever we use the word hope, we're talking about uncertainty. But we hope it's different. In the Bible, that's totally different. Biblical hope is, watch this, biblical hope is confident expectation for something good in the future. Confident expectation for something good in the future. You see, when the Word says, hope in God, it's not saying, cross your fingers and hope it gets better. When the Bible says to hope in God, it's talking about you can have a confident expectation that with God, things will change. Biblical hope means to put your faith and your trust in God. It's the confident expectation that something good is in the future. Now, without hope, here's what happens. You know this, don't you? Without hope, we give up. We stop trying. We give in to despair, don't we? In fact, I would say to you in a loving way, I would say to you that for some of you, perhaps you've given in to it already and, and you're in that downward spiral and the days are getting darker and your spirit is shriveling inside. 
Because without hope, without hope, we don't have a reason anymore. Keep trying. Without hope, we don't have a reason to keep believing. Without hope, we don't have the reason to keep going. And without hope, we simply give up. I want to say something to you. Be, be, be sure you hear this. That is what Satan would love for you to do. He would love for you to, to, to believe that there's no hope for your marriage. He would love for you to believe that there's no hope that that wayward son or daughter will come back. He would love for you to believe that there's no hope for your finances to get better. There's no hope for that medical condition. There's no hope for laying down those pills. There's no hope for getting free from that sin. Just give up, quit, stop trying. That's the message from Satan. But Jeremiah finally realized, listen, listen, listen. Somebody please say amen. Please say amen. Jeremiah finally realized when you know God, there is hope. When you know God, there is hope. I'm not saying it will turn out the way you want it to. But I am saying this, whenever you know God, there is hope. Here's what he talks about. Look at in the next verses. Look at verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen, if you feel that there's no hope in your situation, you simply haven't included God in your situation. I'm not saying that everything will be the way you want it to, but what I am saying is this. You are not in a hopeless situation because you have two tremendous resources to help you in every situation. You know what they are? It's the Lord's great love and the Lord's great faithfulness. Found right there in verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, I would underline that, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning and great. There's the word again, I'd underline, great is your faithfulness. Right there in these verses is the key to dark days. Now, I know it may sound simplistic for, me, for what I'm about to say to you. I understand that what I'm about to say to you may sound simplistic, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. Listen to me. It may sound simplistic to say, ultimately, God is your only hope. But it is true, isn't it? You see, the truth is this. If you choose not to put your hope in God, my question would be, where will you put your hope? If you don't put your hope in God, who will you put your hope in? Is there anyone or anything greater, more loving, more powerful, more, re more reliable, more knowledgeable, more faithful than God? I mean, if you don't put your hope in God, who do you put your hope in? It sounds so simplistic that healing begins when we put our hope in God. But that is exactly what the Scripture says. That God loves us with a love that will never let go. And in the same way, we need to love Him with a love that will never let go. Healing begins with a choice. It's the choice to put your hope in God every day. There are two key phrases I want you to notice before we leave today. In verse 23 and verse 24. The first key phrase is the phrase, Every morning. Would you find it there in your Bible? They are new every morning. 
You see, we live life not as years or as months or as weeks. We live in days, don't we? We're wired for an every morning relationship with God. And if you're in a deep, dark depression, if, if you're discouraged, if you're defeated, if, if life just seems hopeless to you right now, I would say to you, dear friend, what you need right now is an every morning relationship with God. And, and the thing that, that Satan tries to do his best is to push you away from that. He tries his best to convince you you're too tired, you're too busy, you've got too much to do, and you can do it later. But you know that later rarely ever comes. And if it's not an every morning relationship with God, you become easy prey for the enemy. And so you need that. You need to start there saying, okay, I still may be mad at God. I still may not understand God. I still may have a lot of questions for God. But I'm going to start here with an every morning relationship with Him. The second phrase I want you to notice is this. I love this phrase. I say to myself, verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. I love that. You need to learn that verse. You, need, you just need to start preaching to yourself. I mean, just start, walking around the, just start walking around the house. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. And when you feel those dark clouds kind of rolling over you, just say it again. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. When you feel the enemy sneaking up behind you, you just say it out loud. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. And you, not, you need to say that not just today. You need to say that every day. You see, the issue is simply this. I, I, I know this is simplistic again, but the issue is simply this. Where will we look? In dark days. We can look downward in despair. We can look outward in fear. Or we can look upward in faith. Verse 25 summarizes it well. It says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. You've got to understand who wrote those words. The man who wrote those words is the same man who wrote the first 20 verses. And yet he said, but the Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. Listen to me. Healing always starts when you put your hope in God. That's where it starts. Healing starts there. You see, biblical hope is never about what's possible with man. Biblical hope is about what's possible with God. And if you're living in dark and discouraging days, you need to remind yourself every morning about God's great love and God's great faithfulness. We all need, we all need to leave or live in, in the valley between what God has done and what God is going to do. Right now, you need to remind yourself you're living in the valley between what God has done and what God is going to do. Hope says, I'm going to thank Him for the past, and I'm going to trust Him for the future. I'm going to hope. Because that's where healing begins. Healing begins with the choice to place our hope in God. I'm going to close with this verse, and we may use it every Sunday, I'm not sure, but it's an awful good verse. It's found in the New Testament in Romans. It says, it's a, just kind of my prayer, my challenge for you. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. So that, he, so that you may overflow with what, church? Overflow with, with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is something God works in you. This is something God works through you. This is something God produces. It's not something you produce. Because He is the God of hope. This God of hope can produce hope in you. This God that you're angry at, this God that you don't understand, this God that you almost say, God, I'm walking away, I'm quitting. God, I'm going to check out. I don't even want to live anymore. This, this is the God who is the God of hope. And the healing begins with the choice to place our hope in God. So, my prayer for you is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me about that? I thank You, Father, that You are the God of hope. And I pray that You will indeed fill us with Your joy and peace as we trust in You. And I pray that as a result of that, people will begin to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So many right now, Lord, are overflowing with pain. They're overflowing with bitterness. They're overflowing with anxiety. But I pray that they will be able to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit working within them. I pray for these dear people, Lord, who are fighting in dark, dark days. May you convince them there is hope. And I pray that in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed, every eye still closed, I just want to challenge you. Maybe come to this altar and get on your... There's nothing magical about this place, but there's something special about getting on your knees before the Lord and saying, I declare my faith in you again. I declare once again, my hope is in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.